hope that you'll turn with me in a Bible to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. And we will be reading together verses 21 to 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. In this section of the Bible that we so often think we can easily skim over or maybe ignore altogether, we see a gem, a gem, a brief but powerful gem, a testimony to the life that pleases God. Enoch walked with God. There's so much we don't know about him. We don't know what his profession was, what he did for a living. We don't know where he lived. We know how old he was. We know who his son was, or at least one of them. Who did he marry? We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that Enoch walked in lockstep with God. He walked faithfully with God. And by the Holy Spirit, and with the help of the Holy Spirit today, I hope to show you that there is no greater legacy than you and I could ever leave than to leave a legacy of walking in lockstep with God. To walk in lockstep with God should be the believer's highest aspiration in life. This is what we aim at. This is what we long for. To walk in lockstep with God in life. But not only that, It should also be the believer's most enduring legacy in death. Whatever else your obituary may say, I pray that it would say, she walked with God. He walked with God. What more do you need to know that says it all? Is that what your obituary will say at this point? Or not? Let's start by looking at why it's so noteworthy. Why does Genesis point this out? In the midst of all these other 
begats as we often know them. So-and-so lived this long, had this child. In the midst of all that, what is so noteworthy about Enoch here? Well, we tend to fixate on his number of years, but really, when you compare his number of years, 365 years to his contemporaries, it's not really that long, especially when you consider that his son Methuselah lives 969 years. Evidently, during this time, people lived longer, and this is before the decimation and the deterioration of human longevity takes place as a result of human sinfulness, and you see this taking place, especially in chapter 6. Life gets shorter as a result of human sinfulness. So there's that. He lives a long time by our standards. But what is so noteworthy that he walked with God shows us just how unusual this is because all of us are born into this world walking out of step with God. We all walk out of step with God until God intervenes. We see this from our ancestors and Enoch's ancestors, Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, verse 8. After they have broken God's command, his one command, and they know it, and they're feeling the weight of their guilt. And you know the weight of guilt, just as I know the weight of guilt. And they do what we would all want to do. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was, what? Walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And this is how often God confronts Sinners with a question, what have you done? Where are you? God knows, of course. He knows exactly what they've done. He knows exactly where they are. And yet he begins with a question, where are you? This is your story and my story. When we hear God walking, when we know that God is near, we hide. We don't want to be held responsible In our household, we often have a talk about how it doesn't matter if you meant to or not, you did it, and you need to take responsibility and own up. But how often is that the first response? Well, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to break God's law. It just looked good. Can you blame a guy? Come on. Oh, yes, you can. God can. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. Therefore, he stands in judgment upon you and upon me. We all walk out of step with God. We live out of step with God. This metaphor of walking shows us a lifestyle. And it's what we see the Apostle Paul pointing to in Ephesians 2.2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Literally, walk. You used to walk. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
We all have fallen prey to the deception of the enemy. Did God really say that? God, God's holding something back from you. You can't trust God to be good. Just look at it. Doesn't that look good to you? Just use your human reason. That's good enough. And it looked good, and so we do it. We all have walked in these ways. We have all followed the cravings and the desires of our flesh, our human nature. And as a result, we all stand under God's judgment. But God is so merciful and so full of grace that he provides leather clothing for Adam and Eve and he sent his one and only son to shed his blood in your place to reconcile us so that even sinners who by nature walk out of step with God can be reconciled to God. So that children of wrath can be transformed into children of God. So that those who are wandering around lost in the darkness can see a great light. Can have the assurance of His guidance. Can walk by faith and not by sight. Has God brought about this change in you? Unless he has, as the prophet Amos says in chapter 3, verse 3, can two walk together if they don't agree? No. And by nature, we are enemies of God. It's not just that we fail here or there and we really need to try harder. No, we are God's enemies. We stand in opposition to him. In our heart of hearts, we think and we live like we don't need God. And that's why the world is the way it is. This is a world that says we can do better. But by God's grace, He intervenes by the power of His Spirit to apply the blood of Jesus to purify us from all unrighteousness. Has your heart been purified? If it has been, and hear these words from Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Spirit and flesh are polar opposites. You can't mix and match as you please. You will either walk by the Spirit, or you will walk in the flesh. Which is it for you? That's why Enoch is so noteworthy. Because God intervenes in his life. There is only one name by which anyone, Old Testament or New Testament, can be saved, and that name is Jesus. Whether he knows the name of Jesus or not, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to atone for Enoch's sins. And in fact, his blood does so. So know this about yourself. Know this about the world. This is a world that is out of step with God. This is a world that is not walking with God. We need God to intervene to save us. But is it any wonder that fewer and fewer people go to church? 
Is it any great mystery when children don't want to go to church? When they don't want to sit through a Bible story or hear a sermon or when prayer becomes burdensome? No, it's no great mystery. This is what we should expect. This is what we should expect. This comes naturally to us. To walk with God, oh, that stands out. That is noteworthy. Most people walk out of step with God. We're born that way. All of us. Don't be surprised when your children don't want to go to church. Don't be surprised when your grandchildren don't want to go to church. This comes naturally. It comes naturally to all of us. Now, given the intervention of God in our lives to save, how can we know if we're walking in step with God? We're naturally out of step. How can we know if we're walking in step? What can we see in Enoch? In Enoch, we see someone who stands out, but not because of any accomplishment on his part. The kinds of things that we elevate and say, oh, that's a successful life. That's the kind of life I want my children to live. That's the kind of resume I want my grandchildren to have. That's a legacy. Look at what school they went to. Look at how many degrees they had. Look at how much money they made. Look at that salary. Oh, yeah, they're living in comfort. That is a legacy. We want to leave. No! Enoch blows all of that out of the water. What is his legacy? We're told in Hebrews 11, verse 5, By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken away, he was commended as one who pleased God, which is another way of saying he walked with God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But for some reason, the flesh creeps in and says, if you do enough righteous deeds, if you love your neighbors enough, if you volunteer enough, if you don't cheat on your spouse, if you're a parent who's present, then you can please God. No, apart from faith, unless those deeds are performed in faith, it isn't pleasing to God. And what is faith? To rest and to receive what Jesus has done for you. To trust in the merits of his life, his death, his resurrection. We're not told of anything great Enoch did. It's not about his accomplishments. It's what he did by faith. His confidence in what he hoped for. His assurance about what he did not see. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't know the name of Jesus. But he trusted in God. He trusted in God's promises. He stood out. Does your life stand out for what really matters? His faith stands out. We're also told in Jude, another reason why his life stands out. This is Jude, verse 14. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy, holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him, 
These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Whatever Enoch may have done for a living, he was a preacher of some sort. And he proclaimed in his generation, his wicked and adulterous generation, that the Lord is coming to judge, to convict. And we may think, well, you know, Enoch didn't live in 2022. I mean, in this increasingly secular age, would he really stand out that much? Oh, yes, by his faith and by his holy life. By his confidence that without faith it is impossible to please God. And anyone who would please him must believe that he exists, must believe he's real, and that he earnestly reward, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Is that your life? Or not? Enoch's life stood out in his generation. Does your life stand out in this generation? What are you known for at work, in your family? What are you known for? Are you leaving a lockstep legacy or not? When we are walking in step with God, there will also be a familiarity. A familiarity, an intimacy with God. Someone who knows God, who walks with God, talks to God, not merely about God, they talk to God. You ask them, what is God showing you in your life right now? And they can tell you, God is showing me I need this. God is, is convicting me of this. If you know your spouse, if you walk together with your spouse and someone says, how is he doing, how is she doing? You better have an answer if you know your spouse, right? Well, if you know God, if you walk with God, you better have an answer as to what God is doing in your life if you're walking in step with him. Is that familiarity present in you? Or do you talk about God? You know all the answers. You've grown up in church your whole life. You know how to play along. You know church vocabulary. You can say a prayer when you're called upon. You know just enough Bible verses to, to quote to get away with acting like you read it regularly when you don't. Or is there practical, experiential knowledge of God? You know Him. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. His grace has covered your life. And you know that by your own merits, by your own accomplishments, you deserve eternal judgment in hell. And it is only because of Jesus and His shed blood that you have any grounds for being in the presence of God. You don't just talk about grace. You felt the power of His grace. You know His mercy because you know what you deserve. It's not theoretical with someone who walks with God. May it not be the theoretical in your life or in mine. There should also be progress. If you're walking as Enoch walked, you should be going somewhere. Is there any evidence of progress in your life? Or are you still stuck in the same place you were when you got baptized? You know Jesus is Lord, yes. You've confessed your sins. You've received his gift of salvation, but no spiritual growth has happened in a long time. Remember what we read in Hebrews 5. 
He says, we have much to say about this, Hebrews 5.11, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you, are, you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Are you teaching anyone? You should be able to. If there's spiritual growth, if there's progress, not in a public official capacity, no. But you should be able to say what you believe You should be able to confess what Jesus has done for you. You should be able to tell your children, your grandchildren, who Jesus is. You should be able to articulate the basics of the gospel and where they stand apart from Christ. That kind of teaching should be present in every single blood-bought, born-again believer. If it's not, you're still wearing a spiritual diaper in the faith. Grow up! Grow up. Stop being so passive and letting other people handle teaching responsibilities. Stop trying to outsource your child's discipleship to someone else. Stop thinking that you don't need the solid food. Is there progress? Are you understanding more? If I ask you right now, what is God teaching you? What is God doing in your life? How could you answer? Well, I haven't really thought about it. God's doing something in my life right now. He's showing me something right now. Oh, yes, if you're walking with him, he is constantly revealing new things. He is constantly teaching you and showing you so that you can love him more, serve him more faithfully, and understand more. Is that progress present? Are you growing in grace and in the knowledge of God or not? And then there's a feature that we probably struggle with the most. If you and I are truly walking with God, if we are in step with God, there's going to be a constancy, a constancy, a habit, a pattern. But our constancy is so often disrupted, and we need to know what can disrupt the constancy of our walk. One thing is when we confuse enthusiasm with true spiritual zeal. Notice it's a walk with God, not a sprint. But how many times have you seen this in yourself or you've seen it in others when someone is, as we say, on fire for the Lord? Man, they want to do everything. They want to be everywhere to serve God. They're carrying their Bible. They're reading their Bible. They're faithful in prayer. They're on a spiritual mountaintop. And then they come crashing down. Maybe there's a hardship. Maybe there's some adversity. Something happens. This is a walk. A walk. And while we should be zealous, there should be real passion. If you love Jesus and you've been redeemed by Jesus, we want that. Don't confuse that, which is good and real, with mere enthusiasm. When 
it's mere feeling, mere emotionalism. But we so often confuse these things, and there's not constancy. But we go from one experience to another. We go from one revival to another. And we think, wait, we need, we need to do something to, to revive ourselves. We need a new preacher. We need different kind of music. We need something to get us revved up because we're in a valley. No, if you're walking with God, there is this constancy. Constancy. That's what we want to see, the pattern of your life. The pattern of your life. We don't want it to go like this. Beware of spirituality that is a roller coaster. You don't want that in your life. It's dangerous. It's confusing. The constancy of our walk with God can also be disrupted when we put too much trust in a momentary decision. A momentary decision. We went to a church service. The preacher made an appeal. Raise your hand. Maybe come forward. Repeat after me. We did all that. We did all that. We joined the church. Our name is on the roll. We're, we're members. But that's all there is. And you and I both know right now, and this should break our hearts. It breaks my heart to think about this. The people in our own families, our own children, our own grandchildren, who have made a decision, but there's no evidence of it in their life. Can we honestly say they're walking with God? There are youth who have passed through the youth house. They've heard me teach the Bible. I baptize them. Are they walking with God now? I don't see it. It breaks my heart. But they've put their trust in a decision, and we cannot rely on one momentary decision. If there is true redemption, if someone is truly born again, yes, they will persevere to the end. But so often we fall back on, well, once saved, always saved, right? I mean, they raised their hand, they said the prayer, so they punched their ticket to heaven, right? Whatever, do we see any other fruit of the Spirit to back up that decision? Well, then it seems like it may have just been a decision. So what do we do? Do we panic? No, we keep preaching the gospel. They need the gospel now as much as they ever did. Let your life stand out as Enoch's did, by your faith, by your holiness. Model what it looks like to walk with God. There is no greater legacy, no more enduring legacy than you could ever live and leave for your children or your grandchildren than for them to know she walked with God. He walked with God. But I have to keep going. I have to keep going. Here's another disruption. Sometimes we can allow a change in the means that God uses to help us walk with him to change the manner of our walk with him. A change in the means leads to a change in the manner. What do I mean? Well, I can illustrate it by going back to 2020 and the first few months of the pandemic. When we were not able to have in-person services. 
So I was standing here at the pulpit preaching to a camera that was just a few feet in front of me. And if you know me, you know nothing makes me more uncomfortable than a camera that close to me. And in the midst of that change in the means, the means of God's of, of preaching, of doing what God has called me to do, I was battling with discouragement. I was dejected. I don't know if anybody's listening to this or not. And God used that trial to remind me he wants me to be faithful in doing what he's called me to do, whether I see the results or I don't see the results. Keep preaching. Trust that my word will not return void. It will not return empty. It will accomplish that for which I sent it. Keep preaching. Whether you see the results or don't, you don't see the results. Whether you see the fruit or not, keep preaching. Whether you're preaching to an empty sanctuary or a full sanctuary, keep preaching. Keep at it. Don't let a change in the means change your manner. Don't let that keep you from walking faithfully. Well, it's not just a preacher problem. It's a Christian problem. It breaks my heart as well to think of all the conversations I've had that go something like this. You know, we, we grew up going to church, but then something changed at the church. And in every case, something a little different. Maybe they used to have a bigger youth group. They used to have a bigger children's ministry. The pastor changed, and I don't really like the new guy as much as the last guy. They changed the color of the carpet. Heaven forbid they changed the style of the music. They started projecting things on the wall. Oh, and they changed the worship time of all things. Can you imagine changing the worship time? So we stopped going. You heard that? I've heard it too many times. I've heard it countless times. People who were going to church, and then there's a change in the means, there's a change in the church, and instead of going to a different church or finding a church that is more faithful according to what you believe faithfulness looks like, like according to God's word, they just stop going altogether. So there's no evidence of a walk. You hear me clearly. I want to say this as lovingly and with as much compassion and understanding as I can. If your walk with God is so fragile that a change in the outward appearance of a church, the outward ministries of a church, or a stylistic change, or a preference change, or a personality change, if that leads you to completely check out of church altogether, if that leads you to stop walking with God, you need to repent. You need to repent. And pray for a closer walk with Him. Pray for a closer walk. Pray for the Holy Spirit to keep you not only in step with God, but in lockstep with God as Enoch was. Pray for this to be the highest aspiration of your life. 
whatever else you accomplish or don't accomplish, you want it to be said of you that you lived to walk with God by faith. And whatever else you accomplish or don't accomplish, your prayer is that after you are dead and gone, when you have entered into glory as Enoch did, that it is said of you, you walked with God in lockstep. How do we stay in lockstep? Stand upon the means that God has provided, His Word. If we ever think that we can get beyond the Bible or above the Bible or think we don't need the Bible or think it's indispensable and, and, and we can get rid of it, it is totally indispensable. We must have God's Word. This is our spiritual nourishment. How did Jesus fight the enemy? Satan? With, it is written. It is written. Do you think that you can fight the enemy with anything less? No. We stay in lockstep with God by prayer. Both set prayer and spontaneous prayer. Are you setting aside time every single day to utter verbal prayers to your Heavenly Father. Every day. But not only that, are you also praying spontaneously? As you go through the course of your day, you're constantly aware of God's presence. And Thank you, Lord, for this. Lord, I need your help with this. And we need both of these. If we merely rely on our spontaneous prayers, we tend to not have any regularity. But if we only have set prayers, well then we're not aware of God's ongoing guidance throughout the day. And we need both. We need both to walk in lockstep with Him. Meditate on His providence. Think about the circumstances that God allows in your life. Think about what God is doing there in conjunction with reading His Word and prayer. All of these are means that God uses to keep His people in lockstep with Him. And then, rely on the ordinances. The simple, tangible means that God uses to remind us of His presence. For those who don't walk with God, they see a little cracker, a little juice, what's the big deal? But for those who know what they symbolize, they know this symbolizes that God has not only reconciled us to Himself, He's made it possible for us to enjoy communion with Him, to talk to Him, to enjoy Him, to walk with Him. And we're going to use those means in just a moment. But remember that whether you're walking with God or not walking with God, we are all walking toward the grave. And that means we are all walking toward the great and final day when God will judge every single one of us. And not merely the things that other people have seen. Not merely what I do and say behind the pulpit what I do when no one else is watching. 
what you do, what you think about when no one else is watching. To judge the intentions of your heart. That judgment awaits all of us. And we're all closer than we think. Eternity is only one heartbeat away from every single one of us. Are you walking with God toward eternity? So that you don't have to fear his judgment because of what Jesus has done for you. And you praise him that when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see the filthy rags of your unrighteousness. He sees the righteous blood of Jesus shed on your behalf. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whoever would please him must believe that he exists. But remember, even the demons believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Are you earnestly seeking him today? Whoever comes to Jesus, whoever brings their sinfulness, whoever brings their lack of walking with God, whoever confesses, God, I have wandered astray. I have not been walking with you. I'm relying on a decision. I'm relying on another person. I'm relying on this or that. And I want to stop. I want to walk with you. He will never, ever turn you away. He will be faithful to forgive. Let's go to him in prayer now. Dear Lord, I pray that you would transform the aspirations and the desires of our hearts so that what we would long for above all is to walk more closely with you, to walk more faithfully with you. Lord, help us by your Spirit to use the means that you have appointed to rely on your Word, to rely on the ordinances, to rely on prayer, to rely on the gift of church family. We thank you, Father, for how you use all of these things to keep us close. And Lord, where we have wandered, where we have need to repent, I pray that we would do so before we approach this table so that whatever legacy we leave behind would be characterized first and foremost by walking in lockstep with you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.